And before we go any further, I, I do want to say thank you to Cameron and to Ben for putting together that video, which captured the why behind this campus. And that is seeing lives transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also I want to say thank you to Franklin and to Nicole and and Mark and to the Greggs for your testimonies of God's great faithfulness in your lives. And I know that we could spend several hours of of others coming forward and, and sharing. So thank you very much. The Reverend Evie Hill, who pastored a church in Los Angeles, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, for over 42 years, he had an elderly woman in his congregation. And this woman was very vocal during his messages. And no one really quite knew how old this woman was. And so everyone just referred to her as 1800, because it seemed like she had been around for that long. And 1800 was this sweet old lady who would sit there on the front row, but she could be really tough on Pastor Hill if she felt like Christ was not being elevated to her liking during his messages. And if Christ was not being magnified, she would yell out, get him up. And after a few minutes, again, if she did not think that Christ was not getting his due attention, she would yell even louder, get him up. So guest preachers especially could really be in for a long afternoon if they were not giving Christ that appropriate attention and emphasis during the messages. And that's my desire for today in this time that we have remaining, that our focus would not be on us, not on what human hands have made, but our focus would be on Christ, that we would elevate and worship Jesus and give thanks to him, the author of our salvation, the one to whom all glory is given. He is the one to be celebrated. He is the one to be glorified this morning. And that's my prayer that as we look to the future as well, that the supremacy of Christ would always be of highest preeminence here and at our 410 campus as well. As we spread the gospel and as we spread the love of Jesus to our community and to the world, to the glory of God. It reminds me of the illustration of the male ballet dancer. My mom played the piano professionally. And for many years, we had to uh, tag along with her to these ballet rehearsals. And I remember going there as a young boy, and I would usually sit by the piano and read my Hardy Boys books as these graceful men and women danced by. And I can't tell you how many ballet performances I slept through as a child, sitting right there on the front row, I was never a ballet fan, per se, but when you think about the most famous ballet productions, The Nutcracker, Swan Lake, and my list ends right after those two, 
But if you think about those two, the, mo- the, the main character is not the male dancer. The main character is the lead ballerina, Clara, the sugar plum fairy, the white swan. The male lead is simply there to showcase her beauty, to lift her, to twirl her, and to simply showcase her. And that's what we are to be about as believers here as a body of Christ. The church is to spotlight the glory of Christ, to elevate Him so that others would see the beauty of Jesus and turn in faith to Christ alone and give their lives over to Him as the Lord and head of their lives. So that's my prayer as well here at Wayside Stone Oak that we would always be about elevating Jesus and the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And I think that it's fitting that as we focus on Christ this morning that we would look to Colossians, a book that is all about the excellencies of Christ. And I want us to see a few qualities this morning that mark a Christ-centered, Christ-magnified church. Qualities that I've seen in our own church this last year And I pray that we would continue to see moving forward. So if you want to look at a Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10, and I've included a little insert there in your bulletin. If you you want to jot down some of these notes for future reference, feel free to do so. But quality number one of a Christ-centered church is being prayerful in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Paul's struggle here is not a physical struggle, but a spiritual one. Paul felt this pastoral responsibility over these people that he had never met. And he's striving in prayer on their behalf. It's a similar Greek word that we see at the end of chapter 1, verse 29, striving or struggling. It's the picture of the athlete agonizing in competition. Paul is expending all of his God-given strength and energy and prayer for these people. Many of you young people might be going back to school tomorrow or you went back this past week, or or even the week before, like our kids. And we aren't in the college stage yet, but I know some of you uh, parents are, or or you've been there, you've done that. But lately, when I see some of those photos on Facebook, I get a little emotional seeing the parents drop off their college freshmen at the dorms. And we do pray for those students as they are being launched into this this next stage of their their life. And we pray that they would stand firm in their faith. But I'm sure that whenever our kids are are college freshmen one day, and if they call home after a few weeks and they're struggling with something, Kara and I will struggle with them. And that's the Apostle Paul as he writes to these Colossians believers 
And he's praying on their behalf. And he's struggling with them. If you hurt and suffer, I hurt and suffer with you. If you celebrate and rejoice, I rejoice and celebrate with you. Every Sunday morning, as the service nears, I spend a little time in my office back here in prayer. And I have this old antique kneeler that's right against the back window. And I spend a little, a few moments, a few minutes just kneeling there, praying for you. As I see you walking down the sidewalk and I see you driving your car up to park. And I'm praying for your spiritual enrichment. And I'm beseeching God to minister to your hearts, wherever you may be in life and whatever struggle you might be facing. I ask God to equip you. And I ask Him to grow you spiritually. And that God would use you to make an impact in the lives of others. And and it's such great news to know that we all can be used by God, especially in the power of prayer. We can all go to the hospital. We can all go to the hospice center or to the jail or to folks in our workplace and by invitation ask, would you mind if I read a, a little scripture and pray for you? And I've never had anybody say no. And so what a ministry we can have as we struggle on behalf of those in our lives. Quality number two is being unified in Christ. Paul's purpose behind his striving in prayer was so that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. I thank the Lord that in this first year, We have seen a beautiful unity, but unity is not sameness. The church should be characterized by a beautiful unity in diversity, a diversity of people, diversity of demographics and spiritual gifts and passions and ideas that are being used together by God to do his kingdom work. And as we said before from this platform, the church is not defined by these four walls. You are the church. Not as much here, but out there. A priesthood of believers, 1 Peter 2.5. And we as the church and as believers are to not just sit, soak, and sour as Christians in the pews. We are not to give in to what Paul is warning these Colossians against, and that is a false teaching that knowledge was more important than faith. It seems that this is a prevailing spirit of our age as well, one that might favor the tools of a cell phone or a laptop, when what's really needed in our lives at times is a hammer and an anvil. And as we embed ourselves in community, as as Mark was talking about, these communities help to shape us to where God wants us to be. And that can be hard at times. As iron sharpens iron, sparks can fly as we are being shaped into His image. And we want to see more of this sharpening take place starting this fall up here at this campus. 
And we have those life groups right out there in the foyer for you on, at the welcome table. You can sign up for those today. Those will be launching some this week, some in the weeks to come. We're also going to be having men's discipleship groups. Next Saturday, we have our first men's breakfast of the fall. And out of that breakfast, we're going to have sign-ups for you guys if you want to be in men's discipleship groups. So that's next Saturday at 9 a.m. We're also having an equipping class taking place on Sunday mornings starting September the 10th. And this equipping class is going to be talking about the story of Scripture. So that's going to be that 9.15 hour right over here in the student building. So 9.15, we'll send you some more information about that. But that's going to be starting in a couple weeks. And then women's Bible studies, Tuesday morning and Wednesday evenings. We would love to have the ladies up here as they're going to study First Peter starting September 5th and 6th. But unity is essential as we seek God's blessing, as we seek His favor. And unity doesn't mean that we won't agree to disagree at times on the non-essentials. But we can do so with great love and respect and in a way that doesn't tarnish the church, the bride of Christ. I know that I have disappointed some and that I have, I have let some down at times for doing what I pray is best for that person and for the overall church and for preserving the unity of the body. But like Paul, I pray that we would be knit together in love in a beautiful mosaic quilt made up of different personalities and gifts and passions as we serve together as co-laborers and partners in the gospel. Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Quality number three is a church that is rich in Christ and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The wealth here is not speaking of a material one, but a theological and scriptural richness of understanding that comes from Christ, yielding fully to him as we explore the depths of his nature and his glory and imitate him by the power of the Spirit. Evidently, these false teachers, they were claiming access to the mysteries of God's truth and emphasizing knowledge over faith and interweaving Christian experience with Greek philosophy. And they were dethroning Jesus of his rightful place of preeminence. And so we can see why Paul struggled on behalf of these believers. It's Jesus who is that ultimate storehouse of, of divine wisdom. And it's in him that we find the treasures of spiritual knowledge. And prayer is the key to unlocking the door of God's treasure house for us. Number four is a church that has a joy in Christ. Verse four, I say this so that no one will delude you 
with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Paul had great joy when he sees these Colossians and their steadfast faith. I have great joy as well, not when I see the seats filled, but when I see you filled spiritually as you mature as disciples of Christ. My joy is in Christ and the Christ that I see in each one of you. Number five is a church that is rooted and walking in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. Paul exhorts these believers, since you have come to faith, now walk as true believers. And he uses two illustrations here, rooted and built up, one from agriculture and one from architecture. Since we have our divine roots in Christ in the past, we are then built up in the Lord and established in our faith. Quality number six is a church that is overflowing with gratitude. And we see that right there in verse seven. And overflowing with gratitude. People think that the gospel was first taken to the Colossians while Paul was in Ephesus for three years. Since Colossae was just 100 miles away from Ephesus. And Paul writes this letter to the Colossians and to the Philippians from a Roman jail cell. And Paul uses in Philippians that word joy four times and the word rejoice nine times. So regardless of Paul's situation in prison, regardless of our situation, divorce, sickness, financial strife, family issues, our joy as believers comes from that unchanging relationship with Christ as our sovereign Lord. I too am filled with great gratitude as I look back on this past year and all that God has done in and through you all and in my life too. I thank you for those 120 or so folks who who said last spring at the Fortin campus, me too. I want to go on this, this great adventure with the Lord up in Stone Oak. I thank you to our exceptional worship team. Thank you for leading us and taking us to the throne of grace every Sunday. Thank you to Robert and his leadership and the great team he has assembled. I thank you. I thank the Lord for Michelle and Cameron and Ben and for my wife and our family. And I overflow with gratitude for you. Number seven, we want to be a church that is captivated with Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Paul's desire for these Colossians was not to see them held captive by false beliefs, but rather captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philosophy, true Christian philosophy, is that which is taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5. 
it's very humbling to know that one day I will have to give an account to the great shepherd, Jesus, for the precious souls in this body. So one of my roles as a pastor is that of watchfulness, to keep watch, to be praying for you, to spend time in prayer in God's word, thinking and meditating on the things of Christ, and to not fall asleep at the helm, but to always be surveying and scanning the horizon out into the darkness for any potential hazards or threats to the body here. And not just keep watch, but to keep guard as well, to protect from any wolves of deceit and any spiritual attacks from the enemy who's roaming and seeking to lie, steal, and destroy. And then finally, number eight, my prayer for us as a church going forward is that we would fully realize and live according to our fullness in Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. What an amazing verse of Scripture. Not only is the fullness of God dwelling and found in Christ, but we are also made full and complete in him because of the cross and the resurrection. His death on the cross was sufficient to save. Religion is all about doing, but a relationship with Christ is all about done. The ransom has already been, already been paid, and the price was Christ's own blood for you and for me. And there's nothing that we can do on our own works, our own self-righteousness to earn our salvation and commend ourselves to God. When we go on a, on a family road trip, I can't fully take in all of the sights along the way if I don't truly know where it is that we are headed on the map or on the phone. I can't enjoy some activity like rock climbing or, or rappelling if I don't know who it is that's holding the other end of that rope that's attached to my harness. We too must know where it is that we are headed spiritually and who it is that is holding us up if we are to be at ease with our identity as followers of Christ. We can only take in the fullness of Christ if we accurately know who Christ is. In closing, I think of that, that movie, Forrest Gump. If you saw that movie, Forrest was this naive and refreshingly honest man who always seemed to find himself right in the middle of some of the biggest historical events of his lifetime. And he was always in the right place, just at the right time. But do you remember, at the very beginning, and the very end of that movie, what was floating through the air? You all remember? It was a feather. And that feather personified who Forrest was. As he's being carried through life by something bigger than him. And that's like your life and mine and the life of this church. We had plans for a barbecue lunch outside. But God's plans are far bigger. 
It's God who directs us and guides us. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's good to make plans, but it's God who directs our steps and who providentially leads us in this great adventure of the Christian life. It's God who's moving us often to stretching and challenging places. And we don't know exactly what the future holds for us as a church. But we can walk with great faith and and confidence and joy and courage knowing that as believers, even though the storms may rage around us, we can be at peace in the eye of that storm. And that is Jesus. He is with us and he is sufficient. Let's pray. Father God, in this world where false beliefs and false teachers and secular thoughts like the ones that were trying to infiltrate the church in Colossae, things that are trying to fight for our attention, would we by your Spirit hold fast to Christ, Christ alone, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession on our behalf. And Father, would we take every thought captive in obedience to Christ? We know that we can't add or improve on what you have done for us on the cross through Jesus. And we overflow with gratitude for the salvation that we have in Jesus. And we give you all the glory and all the credit for all that you've done through this first year here at Wayside Stone Oak. And moving forward, we desire to elevate you and to spotlight you and to worship you and to get you up where you belong in our lives and in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.